Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest in the world of business, marketing, personal growth, and talent access to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guests today are Michael Cirilli and George Randall, two veterans, George Randall, two veterans that are leading the charge of military personnel building stronger leadership and talent access. And they most recently co authored the book, The Talent War How Special Operations and Great Organizations Win on Talent alongside Josh Cotton, continuing their legacy of expounding their military skill sets to the world of civilian business life. Michael is the founder and CEO of EF Overwatch, which acts as a talent acquisition organization for high-performance military personnel and veterans, and he has had a stellar 20-year career in Marine Recon and the Navy SEALs, including 10 combat deployments. He also has the Everyday Warrior column at Men's Journal, which focuses on self-improvement principles for a more general audience. And George is a managing partner at EF Overwatch alongside Michael, and he also headed talent acquisition at companies like Chukar Millennium Management. Now he heads up TA at Force Point as a contributor and speaker at the Talent War Group. That's a lot. I got to take a breath there. Let's ensure to mention his tremendous 20-year career in the U.S. Army. These guys have a ton of interesting things to say. We'll certainly dig into that. But really, we're going to talk about the Talent War, their experiences, and so much more. George, Michael, welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Hey, thank you. It's, it's really, really great to be here. Thanks for having us. First and foremost, thank you so much for your service. Greatly appreciate it. I know it's a crazy time in our country right now, and I think more than ever, it's just important that we recognize the men and women who serve our country. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome. Good stuff. So let's jump in here. For my folks that may not know you, somebody's got the audio going on there in the background. There we go. So my folks that may not know you, let's just start off with a quick introduction. George, if you want to jump in first and just bring my tribe up to speed, tell us, you know, how do we get from where we were, your time in the service to where we are now in talent acquisition? Well, that, you know, it's been a, a long, long hike, but uh, the shortest version I give you, you know, the oldest of four boys growing up in the Midwest. So I knew I was going to pay for my education, enlisted in the army, had a very colorful uh, attitude and mouth towards life. So somebody said, why don't you be an officer? So uh, I spent about uh, eight, eight and a half active in the army before I got out into the corporate world and then fell backwards kind of into HR. It wasn't my first choice or anything I knew I was going to be interested in, but quickly fell in love with it. And due to the leadership and all of the things that the U.S. military gave me, uh, you know, it just allowed me to keep leading larger and larger organizations. So I, I've been head of TA uh, a number of times, and then I had the great fortune to uh, bump into my future co-author, my best friend, my brother, uh, Mike, and have just taken this journey to a whole new place. I love it. How did you guys meet? 
well, it, it was interesting. So a couple of things. Um, I was listening to Mike on the Jocko podcast, but I was reaching out to connect with Mike because he had started EF Overwatch. And, you know, the minute I looked into it, I was like, this is this is just genius. I like what he's doing. I want to be a part of it. I want to bring him into the companies that I'm working with. So we, we had breakfast, but it, as we started, you know, bantering back and forth, it was, it was very serendipitous. It was like, wait, we probably need to be working together on some level. So Mike invited me to kind of advise and, and it just has taken off from there. And then later on, Mike calls me up one day and says, Hey, we need to write a book. And I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, let's go do it. Yeah, and we'll certainly get to the book in a little bit. And Mike, I'd love if you could bring us up to speed on your journey from serving our country to the world of talent and people. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Adam. Uh, born and raised in San Francisco in the Bay Area, uh, enlisted in the United States Marine Corps when uh, out of high school, short state in college, became a recon Marine and a, and a scout sniper, uh, and then learned that there was a special operations community known as U.S. SOCOM. The Marines didn't belong to that at the time. Uh, they got a lot of the, the funding. They, they, they were first uh, at, at the missions. And uh, so I switched over to the Navy SEALs, uh, served my remaining 15 years in the SEAL teams. I hit a total of 20 years and then uh, retired. Uh, served with JSOC, which is a very small component within the special operations community that has a very select uh, mission. All the personnel are highly uh, selected or, or go through a rigorous uh, selection process. And then uh, ultimately, having gone through that for 20 years, uh, we all have an obsession with building high-performing teams, which is not easy. And I think that's where George and I uh, share uh, a passion. And, and having seen it in the business world, usually done uh, poorly, George and I thought we could maybe give some best practices that businesses could take hold and implement on their level to, to start raising the game. Excellent. Appreciate that. And before we dig into the book and how you guys built the business and the ecosystem around it, how are your individual transitions from spending so much time, you know, in the service to coming back to civilian life? What were some of the struggles? What were some of the challenges? Were there parts that were easier than others? Uh, well, for me, um, and, and, and I know it's hard to tell, even though we're live, I am a little bit older than Mike. So my transition was, uh, pretty early and, um, there really wasn't the cottage industry of, of companies placing vets and things like that. And there was just such a lack of information and, and actually as part of my TA career, I built several veterans programs. And, and one of the reasons that I got into that was because it was so difficult for me to transition. It was, it was hard to articulate the things that made me successful in the military, I knew would make me successful in the business world, but I didn't know how to articulate them. And there wasn't a lot of really, really good help. I did find a veteran firm that, that, that did help me out, but there's just so much that you don't know and so much that you think you know that's not right. And, uh, you know, Mike and I now are spending an awful lot of time, you know, providing actionable information to veterans as they transition now. Yeah. And I, and I think the, the misnomer is, I mean, the military is about, you know, discipline, precision, process, and folks transition and they come out and they expect that in every organization that they're applying to. And there might be a, a, a gap there and they need to adjust to that. Have you guys found that? And how do you guys coach veterans coming out? Well, uh, Mike and I, well, there's, there's two parts. Mike and I kind of tag team most of the vets and, and Mike is exceptional with, with the leadership instruction and transitioning those, that, 
those real elementary and critical uh, leadership lessons and how to translate those into the business world. I'm giving them the interview and the career search skills. And so it's kind of this interesting dynamic. Of Mike, Mike spends an awful lot of time, you know, coaching those vets, helping them hone and, and nail down their, their leadership sides. Mike's just, I mean, he makes a world of difference helping candidates switch that mindset over to uh, a business mindset. And and Mike, where do you think it comes down when we're talking about interviewing? Where do you think some of the challenges may lie from that military mindset to the civilian mindset that may affect, you know, a veteran candidate as they're progressing through the interview process? So I'm going to step back a little, uh, Adam. Absolutely. Uh, it's a transition. It sucked. It's awful. It's horrible. Um, you know, most veterans, I think the average uh, time served is four years. You know, I served 20. I loved what I did. Uh, you know, I refrain from saying this in today's society because I might I might get cultured. I loved war. I loved it because of the purpose of we were attacked on 9-11. I was surrounded by 40 to 100 uh, of the most amazing men and women that we were putting ourselves in harm's way, that we were committed to the cause. and We were eradicating evil from the earth. And when war stops, it, it's, it, you know, it's like the merry ground stops and, and you're left without a seat. Um, so I went into an MBA program to one, gain some hard skills in, in business acumen while also assessing, what do I wanna do? What's my next passion? And the MBA was more of a process of elimination for me than it was trying, trying to uh, nail it out of the, uh, the gate. And I, I did an inventory of what I knew well. I knew how, I knew how to lead, uh, and not to, not to sound cocky or, or, or arrogant, I know how to lead better than most business leaders and I know how to build uh, teams. Same with George. Now I bring that component of uh, helping Military leaders articulate their leadership skills, and I've never seen anyone do it as well as George in terms of, let's say, career development one-on-one, how to navigate the process. He, I mean, when you have 80,000 hires under your belt, you've got some experience, and George has taken some time to reflect, and he's honed his, uh, his skills. So, you know, in the interview process, to finally get to your question, it, it's translating. It's translating what you've done in the military and how it equates to value for an organization. Now, um, leadership for a lot of these military leaders, and let me be honest here, you know, we use the word veteran. EF Overwatch works, works with like the, you know, top 5% of the military coming out. We work with military leaders with substantial leadership experience under the belt. So right. these are very high performing individuals. Leadership, as George often says, is almost muscle memory to them. And they don't know how to articulate it. They know how to put it into practice. They just haven't taken the time to reflect, to contextualize and, and be able to explain it. I mean, the military at the end of the day is the world's greatest leadership development program for which no business can And you have to be able to take a wrap off. You can tell I'm a pretty aggressive guy, build a relationship with the interview and, and explain how the soft skills of leadership are more important than industry experience and how it will uh, not only multiply, but enhance the culture, but deliver results in victory for the organization. I love it. And that's so well said there too. And you said another word that really kind of stuck out to me is this word purpose. Do you find a lot of these, you know, very accomplished senior leadership level folks in the military? How does that word purpose translate? Like you mentioned it before, you love serving the country. You had the cause there. 
how does that translate when they're going into a you know a, a public or private organization and how do they have a purpose of serving coca-cola like who cares if they make their shareholders you know a dollar more how do you translate purpose from such a a value heart-driven patriotic cause into the public sector george let me take first uh swing this so you know we're we're i think we're over indexing on this thing called purpose and why um do i want to be an executive search if, if given the option of going back to war with my brothers and sisters in arms uh, for a good cause, like going against ISIS, I would choose war every day of the week and twice on Sunday. But these are the circumstances I'm dealt with. You know what my purpose is and what we try to redefine for uh, veterans? It, it's winning. No matter what obstacle or challenge you give me, I'm going to win. That's my purpose. And if I know I'm winning, I'm putting food on the table for my family. I'm putting money in the bank to save. I, I'm, I, I'm, uh, elevating or accelerating the opportunity for my children. That's my purpose. So, you know, as veterans are looking at these different industries, yeah, find something that interests you, but is it ever going to replace the purpose that you felt in the military? No, absolutely. No. Not. Let's, let's be realistic here. Let's be, let's be real about it, but you yeah. still have to enjoy what you still have to, to a certain degree, you still have to enjoy and be passionate about it. You want to know what I enjoy? I enjoy working with George Randall and George Randall and I have an awesome team. We have our little office. That's our tribe. We love it. That's that, that's part of my purpose now. And if we go from being executive search and talent consulting firm to uh, selling widgets, guess what? If Overwatch is going to become the best firm uh, at selling widgets. No, I, I love it there too. Did you, George? Did you want to chime in there? No, he he's so good. You know, um, it is. It's it's a gift to work with Mike. One other thing that you know, Mike and I've talked about previously is the most powerful force in the world is the U.S. economy, and so you know, Mike's dead on when it comes to purpose. But one of the things that you know we've spent our lives doing is protecting this great thing called the U.S. economy and the U.S. people, and so to be a part of that business and to be winning and developing people, and and you're going to get to lead and you're going to get to drive things and drive products and and it's there is some purpose in there no it's not ever going to match the military but yeah uh, we still help people find their tribes and and do great things a hundred percent and and george i see behind your shoulder there it says hire for character train for skill and this is something for anyone who's on linkedin too there's always a debate about it and i think it goes a little bit both ways and i've kind of taken the approach because I think skills is extremely important. And, and we're, we're talking very broad terms here. There's certain industries, certain roles where there is a specific skill set there. But character, character is hard to train. It, it's innate. It's in you there, too. I believe that there's another X factor in there called hire for aptitude. And I'm a big believer in the aptitude, the ability to learn there. Whoever wants to take this one on, define hire for character, train for skill for us. Uh, we're both passionate. We're both passionate about that one. But let me start out with one of the reasons when you talked about that experience piece. Let me share with you. You know, industry experience and industry skills are not necessarily predictive of success. Very true. It's it's the character. It's the attributes that we talk about in this book. Those things are predictive of success. When you get to events like, let's just take COVID. I mean, nobody saw that coming, but people that were hired simply for their skills and character and their values, the things that, that we talk about in the book that are critical uh, to winning and succeeding. If you didn't screen for those, those people are losing their minds. Correct. You know, Oh my God, what's going on? What do we cut? How do we stop doing this? But the people that have the character that have worked in the environments and, and the candidates that, that Mike and I place in companies, they're like, 
Yeah, okay, no factor. So we got one more environmental condition. Let's go figure it out. Let's go attack the problem and win. And, and that's 100% the right attitude. That's everything. The, the, those type of people with character are unflappable during chaotic times. And, and you know, we have an acronym to describe the environments in which the military operates, which are some of the worst environments in the world. We call it VUCA. Volatility, uncertainty, uh, complexity, and ambiguity. That totally defines what we're seeing in COVID now. And people that have the character or are trained to, uh, you know, double down on that character and their leadership ability during those times tend to make it through. The, the constraints, the environmental constraints of COVID changed everything, but the goal remains the same for all businesses. And that's what people lost sight of. Um, hey, let me, let me tell you, Adam, you're absolutely right. And in a way, we can, we can include aptitude or a, another way to say aptitude is capacity within character. Does this person have the aptitude and capacity? We, we, we actually mentioned that in the book. We, you know, that is a core fundamental that you're, you're, you're evaluating uh, people for. From both, and the reason that you know the subtitle of the book is how special operations and great organizations went on talent, which was a last-minute change George and I made because we viewed we we interviewed our share of business leaders who never served in the military, not a day, and are exceptional leaders, and then also some very senior special operations leaders, and all of them to a T said intellectual horsepower matters. Mm -hmm, 100%. A specific type of intellectual horsepower which we call effective intelligence. And, and I'll let George walk through that. And why yeah, please. George, you want to chime in on effective intelligence? Yeah, so let, let me, and like Mike says, let me back up a little bit. One of the, the critical things that we did is when we were looking across all of the special operations organizations, all of them have certain attributes that they're looking for. And what we did is boil them down to, you know, the nine, the ones that were, most consistent across all of the organizations and effective intelligence the really simple answer is that it's being able to put together the data points all the things that you're seeing all the versions of intelligence you know whether that's imagery or people talking to you or, or data analysis and solving a problem for for which there is no book solution Meaning you're one of those people that has those tra has the trait that can look at all of the things that are around them and come up with a way to attack that problem and solve it and win when the, there was no solution or that event had not occurred previously. That's, that's fascinating. What do you think is the most underrated character piece for organizations when thinking about hiring? Wow, boy, that I, you know, Mike, I think that's the first time we've gotten that question. It's, it's exceptional. Um, you know, what's interesting is that our attributes, while we list nine of them, you know, nobody's going to be on a scale of one to 10, 10 in every one of them. And, and you're looking for different amounts per role. Like and there's a, there's a balance, right? Based on also the personality of the team that they're hiring for yeah. what's going to jive in there too. I don't like to use the word fit. I like to use the word kind of jive in there. Yeah. So as an example, in a sales team, your drive, you're going to want that high, but you may not want that in your product development. You know the curiosity factor may need to may need to be higher. So the you know I will tell you the two things that I don't see and have not seen companies evaluate for of the attributes that we've listed. Number one, believe it or not, is integrity. People just take it for granted. How do you measure integrity a, though? But Sorry, it's a black hole. There. You you have to ask about it. Right. Now, is it like is it give an example or is it like or is it one of those kind of behavioral questions? 
No, it was you interesting. You should absolutely ask people for examples of where they've had to tell the truth and possibly suffer adverse consequences or you know somebody look at happened them to me last week i'll tell you offline <laughs> they've had to hold the line on integrity integrity is non-negotiable as a trait and it's absolutely essential in the military and, and michael talk about you know high trust uh low performers or trust you know low trust high performers he'll talk about that in a little bit but the other thing that that is not evaluated that's underrated is humility and it's absolutely critical to being a leader you have to be open to that too. Yeah, Michael, it's interesting. I saw your I saw your post the other day about people that are great interviewers and then they're terrible performers. And it made me smile there too for a moment there because there's been points early in my career before I had the self-awareness to really know what I was good at and what I sucked at where I would come in and I would crush because I'm charismatic. You know, I, I, I could get into an interview and connect with the interview on a personal level and take the interview in directions where it's more relatable and take it off course. And all of a sudden the interviewer walks away like, Adam was great. We had, we had a great conversation. I like him. Then they forgot to ask me questions about the day-to-day -day job or the skill set there too. And it, and it made me laugh a little bit. What triggered that post for you? So, you know, yes, are there great leaders out there that are gregarious and have these great personalities and make connections quick? Absolutely. Um, you know, what, what we saw in the SEAL teams, and I was actually talking with one of my peers that I came up with the SEAL teams, is we were talking about, not to be negative, a few officers that were high in likability. Everyone liked them. But when it came time to do the work, they would somehow disappear to go talk and build a relationship with somebody else while we were rolling up our sleeves and doing the real work. And so it was sort of that we, we, we called them snake oil salesmen, <laughs> is that in front of our senior officers, when you see the senior officers, they're like, that's an exceptional young officer. And we'd look at, them, at each other amongst peers and we're like, that dude's the biggest dirt, dirt bag amongst all of us. He doesn't do anything. He just talks. Awesome. And so... You know, that, that's what, what sort of precipitated that, uh, that post. But again, when people start leaning towards likability, it goes back to culture fit, which in today's age, when people say culture fit, what they really mean is likability. Or is it it's someone like me? To integrate into uh, our, our culture because everyone likes them, but we're willing to sacrifice performance because we like them. Hey, let me tell you, what every, you hear a lot of business leaders today say, hey, we're trying to build families here. George and I are not trying to build family. George and I refer to each other as brothers, and we do believe that. But we know at the end of the day, we're not family. We are close friends. Within our organization, EF Overwatch, what we're trying to, to build is a high-performing team. Now, if George and I make a decision to bring somebody on who may be uh, a little just he, he's he's that grumpy older man, but he has all the, the, the right character attributes other than being grumpy, which, you know, actually, if he's grumpy throughout the interview, we talk to people and they're like, yeah, he's just grumpy, but he's a high performer. We're like, okay, he's authentic. At I was about to say that. He's being, his true, being his true self. You're getting, you're getting who he is. Yeah, but if he delivers results, he or she, and, you know, gets along with the team, they just, that's part of their, their sort of, their, their true nature, that's fine. They've got a spot on our team. If you think all the SEALs in our, our platoon or our troop hung out with each other on the weekends, you'd be 100% wrong. Some of us didn't like each other, but as professionals, when we came in on Monday or we had a mission on our plate, we had the ability to put our, our, our likability factor to the side, operate as two high-performing members of the team, moving in the common direction to achieve a goal and leave it at that. And that's what you're trying to achieve. So I don't care about a cocktail party uh, in fact, George and I, we, we, we don't sort of hold those events. We have team building events. 
but it's not about having you know fun at a cocktail party with it. With, it's not the social sense of it. No, it's not. Yeah, excellent. Hey, Tribe, real quick shout out. I'm really excited to share with you a podcast I recently discovered called The Art of Excellence. The host, Glenn Zweig, does these really engaging deep dive interviews with people who have achieved extraordinary success across all walks of life. He's interviewed business leaders like John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods, and has also interviewed well-known thought leaders like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Deepak Chopra. He's interviewed Scott Kelly, the astronaut, another guy who's a top Hollywood stuntman, and so much more. And Glenn has an insatiable curiosity and does a great job of bringing these people to life. You can find it at theartofexcellence.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out. Thanks. So let's let's jump into the book here, uh, The Talent War. So George, who is this book for and why should someone pick it up? Well, I think it's for any, you know, Mike and I were trying to figure out how do we narrow down who, what, what is our audience? And really what it comes down to is leaders at all levels. It, it's for any company, big or small, because first of all, you're never going to be for, perfect in the pursuit of talent. You're always going to have something to learn, whether you're a big company, you could be Google, you could be Dell, you could be HP, you could be any big company. Small to medium business, we really do think it helps immensely who don't have the benefit of having, you know, the the headcount or the operating room to to have a, a top talent scout or top H strategic HR function. But we have built this for leaders at every level. And, and we made sure that, you know, what Mike and I were conveying is that this is a relentless pursuit of the most important thing, the only true competitive advantage you can hope to achieve, and that is talent. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent there. So let's talk about, you know, you guys saw this need, something to be fixed in the civilian workforce that's relatable with a lot of your military background. What were some of those elements that needed to be fixed? I mean, listen, we could spend all day on this live stream and talk about what's wrong with the talent acquisition process. It's flawed. It's broken. Is it repairable? I think so. But let's get back to talking about what was that, that gap? What was that delta in the civilian workforce? Talent mindset. It what is- does that mean? It is an utter lack of a talent mindset. And it's almost a bit of arrogance. So awesome. Special operations understands that the, the one, the number one reason for all their success and all their failures is people. It always has been, it always will be. Special operations operates off a set of what we call special operations forces truths, as in a axiom. These are known to be true. And each of the five axioms revolve around people. People are are your greatest resource, quality over quantity. Uh, Great leaders can't be produced in times of emergency, things along those lines. You look at the business world uh, as a whole, and and there's a total lack of a talent mindset. How we define a talent mindset, George and I, is a foundational belief. I mean, it is a core belief you hold in your heart that the greatest strategic competitive advantage that George just mentioned, that any organization, regardless of you're in the military, you're in federal government, state government, or the private sector, the greatest strategic competitive advantage you can ever hope to achieve and maintain is your people. It's not your your processes. It's not your technology. It's not your systems. People commercialize technologies. People bring them to market. People deal with customers. People seize opportunities. People solve problems. And that's why you want and always should be striving for a rock star in every single position in your company 
much like special operations does. Michael, why do you think why do you think some companies sacrifice and and they they scramble and they don't wait out the process, they don't vet more, they don't continue to search longer? Why do you think some companies jump at you know the first decent candidate? It, they don't know any better. You show me an MBA program amongst the top ten MBA programs that have a robust uh, program in how to hire people and build high performing teams. It doesn't exist. It's not a core competency. Oh, and trust me, I love when deans from MBA school say, we produce leaders. I'll be the first to, 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 to be in the front row saying, no, no you don't. You, you produce business practitioners. You produce very good business practitioners. I don't but, think they're teaching leadership in MBA programs. I think they're teaching business mindset in the books, Marcel. Always be wary of who's teaching leadership. Always look at the person that's teaching leadership. There are some great professors. I went to the University of Texas McCombs. There are some great professors there. Uh, some of them were not great leaders. They know their, their, their stuff, but these are not gentlemen and women I, I, I would want to work, work for. And, and so, guys, they're, you know, the business world is not trained in this. I mean, you go through this as part of the onboarding process within, uh, within the military. And if you stay in the military long enough, you're going to have to rotate amongst leading people on the battlefield, amongst leading training. Uh, sometimes you, you end up in supply chain uh, management and logistics, even though you're a Navy SEAL. I mean, you are a well-rounded uh, general manager. That's what we produce. But amongst all those, you learn in your time in the military how to build high-performing teams. The business world is just not an organic skill. And it's often not a concern. There is a total, and George will, will step in here, there is a total de-emphasis of the human resources function. I mean, it is not viewed as a strategic function. And that's where a lot of companies go wrong. Because again, it's just administrative. Program, mm -hmm. Yeah, what, what MBA program has an HR track. They've got a finance track, they have a sales track, they have a marketing track. Where's the HR track? When you get a very good CHRO, your organization operates completely different from your competitors. It's about putting people first. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had, I've had, I'm in a, I'm in a lucky position where I get to have many of these conversations with like-minded folks like yourself. And the common denominator is putting people first. And when organizations do that, they succeed when they invested into it financially, when they put the time resources, the dividends, the let's call it what it is, the profits skyrocket when you focus on the, on, on the people there, but you mentioned something interesting and George, I love your take on this. Does creating strong leaders follow a repeatable process? Creating strong leaders or talent? Uh, because I think both do. Um, having processes that invest in talent or invest in selecting talent, yeah, the more that you standardize those. Now, when we say standardize, one part of that standardization is understanding that you're always improving, that you have a feedback loop, that you're always, whether that's leadership development or whether that's talent acquisition and securing talent, you're always humble enough to say, okay, how could I have done this better? How could I improve this, this process? How do I make that, that change? So absolutely. And I wanted to share, you know, one of the quotes that we put in the book when you were talking about people first. So one of the great CHROs that we got to interview and I was so, it was such a gift to work for her was Tracy Keogh and she's the CHRO of HP. Now she's not your standard HR practitioner. She came from the business. And so she was already adept at bringing people solutions to business problems, but she was invited into a meeting and one of the other execs just quipped and said, Hey, you know, it's great that HR's finally at the table and Tracy doesn't miss a beat. And she says, 
HR is the table. And that's where you start understanding that that human resource, not just putting people first, but that is the gateway. And I, I wish I could get Mike's quote so well, but it, it's it is the gateway to every revenue producing or product or service producing department in your company. But to your point, you said earlier, it's it's looked at as administrative or compliance or just a place for your benefits and your payroll. It's not strategic. And, and that's one of the problems secondary to not having a talent mindset where companies go wrong. Right, absolutely. It's the it's a true differentiator. So let me ask you guys a question. How do you hire for your company? What are one or two of those go to interview questions that you tried and true every single time? for you to really suss out character. So, you know, we get this often. It's like, what are those two interview questions that are going to nail everything? Well, it changes depending on the position and the function because uh, with each of the positions and functions within our organization, they require different attributes. Right. So, you, you know, we actually say, hey, no, get away from that. There, there's no one perfect question. And, and watching George with 80,000 hires under his belt, it, he'll tell you this you have to have a process. One, you have to have a talent profile for the position you're hiring so that you know what you're looking for. And then you design your multivariate interview process around that. Yes, you select your behavioral interview questions, trying to elicit beha uh, certain behaviors. You, you do the reference checks and you have a set of questions for those people that you're doing the reference check for. You, you know, if you're going to engage in role play, set up role play scenarios based off what they're going to face on the, on, on the job function, on the job functions, to elicit certain behaviors, and that's what you do. But George, all the fault to you. The you know, we, in Adam, I'm not coming down on you. We we always get that. Like, especially when you hear a leader say, and we've heard this, if if you know, it comes down to one interview question, if somebody can nail it, they got the job. Like, oh, yeah, cool. that's one approach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've heard it there too. I mean, I've had I've had entrepreneurs that say, "Tell me about your first lemonade stand," and depending how they answer that, they either said, "I started the lemonade stand." I worked with my friend's lemonade stand or I was home watching TV and never had a lemonade stand. So they try to like kind of dig into some of those early years to pull back the curtain and see like, where's this person's origin story and how did they get to where they are? And there's some value in that there too. Where, I mean, where, where do you think the time is wasted in interviews? You think it's a lot of this upfront kind of bullshit, tit for tat, you know, tell me about your background. Tell me this, that, like, where do you think interviewers are failing? Well, I, I did want to add one thing. Sure. Because yours. Mike is adamant about this and working with Mike, I've got the, the gift of it. But one of the things when you ask us about what do we hire into EF Overwatch in our tribe is people that are going to be better than us. Mike and I look at the men and women that we're leading going, yeah, you know what? We invest in that person. They're going to be better than us. We are not afraid of hiring very talented people. We are hiring for potential from the get-go. And that's what we brought in here. And our employees are probably listening right now. And all I'll say is get back to work. All the time. <laughs> we, we just gave you a... Uh, a, a it's on YouTube. You can watch it later. You go to your head. Get to work. And no. We got to pop that balloon. But where are people wasting time? You know, Mike talked about it is actually the entire interview process is really wasted. And we see it too often when you don't know what success looks like when you, before you go to the talent market. If you don't know what the attributes that make that role successful, then everything after you're doing is, is just, I don't know. Yeah, it is a time waster. Might you get lucky and get somebody talented that comes into your company? Absolutely. But it's purely random. 
Um, and yeah, are you going to suss out a few of the characteristics? And, you know, if you, yeah, but it starts with knowing what success is. And if you don't, then everything after that is, is real, is really a time waster. You're going to get what we call a butt in a seat. Yeah. And you're going to hope that whatever questions you came up with and whatever you saw is talent. No, I love it there. And I, and I want to leave some room here for some questions at the end. So I'm going to bring it home. And I want to ask about, you know, the shutdown here, right? And for both of you, as people whose jobs it is to evaluate other people's mindset, what do you think about this shutdown really has made it challenging for some folks who have been optimistic and they've been optimistic their entire lives and their entire career? How do you gauge their mindset now, you know, in this small bubble and small window versus the bigger picture of their background? Well, how do we gauge people or, or how do we look at people now with the shutdown? When Mike and I are evaluating people, when we look at for those attributes, you know, that positive drive, that unrelenting quest to be better that stems from humility, that they can be a better, we're all, that, it doesn't matter the environmental conditions. Those are no quit people. The people that we put in front of our clients COVID. So there's a second COVID wave. There's a third COVID wave. It's going to be here for These a while. People are absolutely resilient, which is one of the traits that we talk about in the book. And we want people who, whatever obstacle is in front of them, they're going to get around it, through it, over it, crush it one way or the other. Nothing matters. They are just no quit people. Mike, my, my word, my word is tenacity. If I, if I was going to put my number one character, I'm, I'm inquisitive and, and tenacious. Those, those, are, those are my words there. What is your one word, Mike? It's humility. Um, yes, and it's hard to pick one, guys. You, you know, high-performing people require drive, which means they also have a bit of narcissism. But um, humility, grit, resilience, I mean, it, it's hard to select one, but humility is a core attribute for us. Um, one, the person's uh, past, their experience will show whether they had success or not across multiple uh, industries. But ultimately I wanna see how self-reflective a person is. And if they've truly taken time to reflect on their failures, if they've taken the actions to learn from them and then taken action to change certain behaviors uh, to, 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 to move away from making that same mistake. No, I love it. And what would you say is the one key takeaway you want someone to get from this book? The one key takeaway you want someone to get from this book? Have the conversation is read the book amongst key leaders within your organization and sit down because I guarantee you 90% of the businesses out there have not taken the time to have a true candid conversation about the talent design within their organization, not only from how they hire, what they're looking for, but how they conduct talent management, succession planning, looking at gaps and, and truly taking a hard look and being honest with themselves about talent. If we can get business leaders to have that conversation just by reading this book, we've helped them take the first step of what will probably be hundreds of thousands of steps in the right direction. Right. Wow. I love it there. George, what does the word authentic mean to you? What you see is what you get. It's as simple as that. That's big. It's, it's not even complicated. Um, and authenticity is... You know, when you've when you've been assessing talent like Mike and I have for decades, um, it, it comes at you quick. But we're always on guard for those people with the likability factor and stuff. 
but we always want to see because we can always work with something when we know exactly what it is we're looking at when when we see exactly in front of us is what it is and it's not trying to pretend to be something else some false front that authenticity is valuable now oh, that's big there Mike, what is it? I'm going to ask both of you guys this one. This this is my masterclass, right? This this podcast that I do, this live stream, the opportunity that I have to talk to amazing, accomplished gentlemen like yourself, amazing men and women out there. I mean, for me, I learned through osmosis. Mike, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life? Of course, um, you know, that's my old man. Life is a mystery to be, be lived, not a, a puzzle to be solved. And, and it goes back to that self-reflection. Hey, uh, basically what he said is failure is part of the process. You're gonna have plans. Life is gonna throw you for a loop. Uh, you know, stay in the moment, reflect, learn, adjust if need be, but continue moving on. And when he told me that later, quite frankly, in, later in my SEAL uh, career, because I, I'd hit a, a number of obstacles, namely losing people. You know, he threw that at me and it, it sort of, it stunned me. And when you think about that, life is a mystery to be lived. And it, that does not uh, abdicate you from giving 100% at everything you do. But understand that things will not always work out in your favor. And it's your job as a leader. True leaders embrace that, learn from it, readjust, and then get back in the arena. And so, uh, you know, I got Great that later. Right. That's the best piece of advice I, I've gotten. Again, that's from tremendous. Life. George, same question. Uh, it's interesting. You know, Mike and I had very wise fathers, and we, we you know, very we we grew up with that in our in our world. My dad, of course, my son has corrected me since because you know my my kids are older. My my dad said, you know, it doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what you do. Son's coming up tomorrow how you greet it, how you tackle, it's up to you. But worrying about whether the sun comes up, worthless. Get after it. Go do it. Go go do what you absolutely want to do. And, um, you know, the second piece was, as, as my dad said, to always make sure that the people that you, that are family, that are part of your tribe, that you, you let them know, you know, how you feel. Don't wait. Don't ever wait. Um, and so those two things for me uh, are, are always guideposts and, and, and hope to always put them in place every single day. I love it. And last but not least, both of you have been on roller coasters of lives. You've seen shit that some of us, you know, God willing, will never see in our lives. You've experienced things that most folks shouldn't and never will. And you've experienced the lows, the very lows. You've seen the worst of humanity, but in the same breath, you've also seen the best of humanity. And you've transitioned out of the military and now you're giving back so much. And I would love to ask both of you, what do you look to to pull you up when you've been down, when you've been in those dark places, when you've been in those environments and those you mentioned before, all these all these things that are completely out of your control? What do you look to to pull you up when you're at your lowest? And what do you look back on to show gratitude? Mike and George, what are your North Stars? Whoever wants to go first here. Uh, I'll go first. So who do I look to? What do you uh, look to? What's your compass? Uh, is me. Um, and I don't mean that from a selfish standpoint, meaning, you know, what do I look to? It's who am I today in the world and who am I going to be? Who do I want to be? Who am I going to go drive, uh, to be? 
So even, even at the worst of times, um, I always look at myself and say, you could do this, you can get better. Um, and but as much as I say that, I, you know, I've been fortunate to have so many people around me that are examples. And now I have one in Mike, um, where anytime that I get that self-doubt and I'm not trusting myself that I can make it through whatever confronts me, you know, I have great examples and my brother, Mike and, you know, Carly who works with us, you know, sister in arms. And, and those are the people that I can look to and go, yep. All right. Remind me to get after it and, and, and go tackle the world. Mike. So, you know, beyond my computer here, up on the wall, um, in terms of hard times, lost a lot of brothers in arms. Um, and one in particular um, is on my wall, a picture of Michael Monsor, who was a uh, young Navy SEAL uh, from Southern California, jumping on a grenade three feet uh, from me and another uh, brother in arms to, uh, to save him and I. So, Michael gave his life, uh, saving myself and the other seal and allowed us to go back to our, uh, our families. So, you know, it is a burden that a lot of vets, combat vets carry uh, the memory of, uh, of the fallen. Uh, but it's also a reminder that your job is to live in their memory now, is to keep achieving living a life of impact. And by impact, I mean the, the, the impact and influence you have on other people in a positive manner. So that's, that's sort of my North star. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, having come out of the military after 10 combat deployments, that, that's not exactly easy. Um, I, I met an amazing woman who, uh, who's changed my outlook. She's younger than me, uh, but that doesn't matter. Again, it just means she has less life experience, but her mindset is just contagious. And uh, that, that's my wife, Jordan. And, and I know George, his wife, Christina, is, is, is his his mentor and sage uh, gives sage advice in a lot of uh, a lot of aspects. That's everything. And gentlemen, I want to hang tight for a moment because I want to take some questions from the crowd here, but I do want to sign off on the proper podcast. So bear with me one moment. Uh, first and foremost, you know, thank you again for your service. Thank you again for your time. Thank you so much for sharing your wealth of information. I appreciate it. I urge everyone out there to pick up the book and learn more and they can go to the talentwar.com. Uh, find Michael and George on LinkedIn and everyone listening and watching. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. You know where to find us at the podcast.com. Remember, if you like this show, please leave a review, a rating, share it with your friends. We greatly appreciate it. Remember, wash your hands, stay six feet apart and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>